Last time on Through the Bible, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, introduced us to the idea that the church is a mystery. Well, today, we'll return to that subject and his explanation as we head off for Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so grateful that you're making the study of God's Word a priority in your life. So let's hop aboard what Dr. McGee affectionately called the Bible bus and find our seats. And while you do, here are some introductory thoughts that Dr. McGee recorded for this study. You and I are living in days of apostasy. Liberalism is in control of all the major denominations. There are many fine Bible churches across this land. But you see, the devil, he's smart. He does not attack the Bible directly. He attacks the men today who are preaching the Word of God. And some of these men are being hurt today in our churches and hurt very much the men that are standing for the Word of God. And I want to say that the place they're being hurt is inside the church. It's not the Mephi outside that's after the pastor or the church member who's standing for God, but it's the devil that gets on the inside, and the only way he can walk in is through a church member. And very candidly, I didn't tell you half the story I could tell you about local churches. Now, let me add this. Some folks seem to think the church is a sacred cow, that you don't dare say anything about it. It's like attacking the Lord or Caesar's wife. Well, very candidly, the church is in trouble today, deep trouble. And politics are being criticized, and politicians, and rightly so. And education is being, schools are being. Shall the church be immune today when things are so wrong? Well, somebody needs to speak out. Now, I know that I would do better with folk if I said some lovely, sweet things. But my friend, you're listening to a man. You can tune him out. But as long as he's able to speak, I'm going to tell you what I believe the Word of God is teaching. And we're yet to come to some real strong things. So I just wanted to prepare you for really the strong medicine that is coming along. You know, those words recorded so many years ago certainly still reflect the state of our country and our world today. So let's ask the Lord to open our eyes on how we can reflect His goodness and glory in times like these. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your timeless word. Help us to hear the message that you have for us today and then give us wisdom on how to apply it to our lives. We pray that through each of us, Lord, others will come to know and love you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Now let's get going to Ephesians 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we're back at the third chapter, and we put on the introduction to that last time. And what you have here is the church is a mystery. Now, there have been two ways of interpreting a mystery. One is to entirely ignore it and go back and find the church back in the Old Testament and talk about the church there as being Israel. And I had a professor in a denominational seminary, that he traced the church back to the Garden of Eden. Now, you can't beat that, friends. You couldn't go much farther back than that. Well, it's not in the Old Testament. Paul says it's a mystery, which means that it was not revealed in the Old Testament at all. And the other extreme is to become a hyper-dispensationalist, and that means that you have several dispensations after the day of Pentecost. Now, on the day of Pentecost, something happened. And to wash back and forth over Pentecost as if 
you're the tide washing over the beach. I think it's entirely wrong. Something happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, began forming the body of believers. That'll continue until he takes the church out of the world. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. That is, when we're taken out of the world and presented to Christ. Now you have, first here, the explanation of the mystery. In verses 1 through 4, the definition of the mystery, verses 5 through 13. And then you have prayer for power and knowledge, verses 14 and 21. Now there is a mechanics to this section, and that's the reason I suggested that you have the Scripture before you in order to follow this, because it will make it more meaningful to you. Paul says here in the first two verses, "...for this cause I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles." Now, actually, there begins a parenthesis. And that parenthesis goes down to verse 14. And in other words, because of these marvelous privileges that are now accorded to Gentiles, and Paul enumerated them back in chapter 2, We were far off, strangers without hope and without God. Now, all that's been rectified. Through Christ, we've been brought in. Now, because of all that, Paul's going to pray for them. And he starts out, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then drop down to verse 14, he says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everything between that is a parenthesis, and that actually is where he's talking about the mystery. Before he came to his prayer, he says, "...if so be," that is, upon the supposition, "...that ye heard of the dispensation, or the economy, of the grace of God which is given me to you." Now, this if so here, it marks the beginning of the parenthesis. In verse 14, he'll pick that up, you see, that is, the prayer. Now, in between, he says, "...ye heard of the economy." That is, the dispensation. Will you notice that, that he says here, "...if you've heard of the dispensation." Now, that's the economy of the grace of God. You and I are living in the dispensation of grace. Now, when somebody says, "...now, I don't like that, McGee. I'm not a dispensation." All I can say to you is, you ought to be. If you believe the Bible, you're some kind of a dispensationalist. Now, you may not be... One like I am, I hope you're not an extreme one, but I hope you believe that we live today in the dispensation of the grace of God because that's exactly what Paul's saying here. I didn't say it. I didn't coin this word. Dr. Schofield didn't coin it in a Schofield Bible. It came out of the epistles of Paul, if you please. He uses the word. Others use the word. If you've heard of the economy of the grace of God which was given me toward you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote unto you before in few words. Now, you remember back in chapter 1, verse 10, we spoke of this word dispensation. He is speaking of the divine plan and the arrangement by which God had called and sent him to the Gentiles As compared to the other apostles, Paul's ministry was different and special. That is, Paul had said to the Galatians, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, the message was not different. 
But the ones to whom the message was to be given were different folk in a different category. Paul went to the Gentiles and told them, you've been far off. Now you can be brought in. Peter went to his own people, to Israel, and he said to them, there's none other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Same gospel law. And Paul said, the Philippian jailer Gentile, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. They now go to two different groups of people. Now, these are being brought in to something that's brand new. Now, that was a different economy than you have back in the Old Testament, you see, or a different dispensation. Paul was a Pharisee before, and he lived by the law. He never went out and preached to Gentiles. That was a different economy he was under. Now he's under a new economy, and it's altogether different. But God's mode of salvation has always been the same, because back under law, he didn't save them by keeping law, but by bringing the sacrifice when they saw that they had come short of the glory of God, and that sacrifice pointed to Christ, you see. Now, what is this that he's going to talk about, this economy now? He says, how, verse 3 and 4, how that by revelation, that is, by the apocalypsin, the mystery, that is, the sacred secret, was made known to me. That is, now, Paul says, the mystery was made known to him. Now, on the basis of this, there are those that immediately say, these hyper-dispensationalists, they say, well, now, Paul was the only one that had the mystery. That is, they used to say that. I don't know whether they still say it or not. I have very little contact with them today, by the way. But after studying the third chapter of Ephesians here, I expect to have a whole lot of contact with them. I'm sure that they'll be writing to straighten me out concerning this. Now, he's going to make it very clear in this chapter that this that has been revealed was not revealed to him alone. Let me drop down to verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known under the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of the same body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus by means of the gospel. Now, that was something, you see, that all the apostles had. So, Paul here, speaking of himself, here at the beginning, he says, since he's writing to them and he's had his ministry with the Ephesians, he says, it was made known to me, but is also made known to the other apostles, as I've written in few words, whereby when you read, you may perceive my insight, that is, my understanding in the mystery of Christ, which is Christ, of course. Now, in other words, by revelation means that Paul's conversion, when Christ informed him that when he persecuted the church, he persecuted Christ. The church was the body of Christ. And Paul found out for the first time God is doing something new, that a church had come into existence. And that, you see, was on the day of Pentecost. Now, the mystery, the sacred secret, as we've said before and we continue to repeat it, was not a whodunit. Nor was it something mysterious. It was specifically something not revealed in the Old Testament. Therefore, it was unknown to man, because it could only be known by revelation. But now it's revealed in the New Testament. And this word is used 27 times in the New Testament. It refers to about 11 different mysteries. Paul seems to be making a contrast 
actually with the mystery religions of the Greco-Roman world. And there were many in that day. These were secret lodges in which sadistic rites were performed. And the initiate was warned not to reveal the secrets of the mystery religions. And I have in my study that I made, in fact, it was a thesis I wrote when I was in seminary on the mystery religions. This is something that even today not too much is known about. And yet we do know a great deal about them, but very few Christians seem to know about them. Now, in contrast, Paul says, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And we are stewards today of the mysteries of God. That is, we are to give the message out. This is not something to be kept in a secret lodge. This is something to be shouted from the housetop. Now, Paul had made brief reference to the mystery back in verse 9 of chapter 1. You'll recall, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. He mentions it there. And then you come on down and you find that, again, Paul mentions this matter of the mystery in the second chapter, verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. And this was something that had not been revealed before, you see. And in that sense, it was a mystery. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances to make of himself of two, one new man, so making peace. Now, this was something that was, you see, not revealed before. Now, the mystery is that Christ is risen. He's head of a new body made up of Jews and Gentiles and of all tribes and peoples of the earth. This was not revealed in the Old Testament. Paul, you remember, put it like this in Romans 16, 25. He says, Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. You see now, he makes clear here what he's talking about. The mystery was not revealed before. And in Colossians 1:26, even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. Now, anybody that goes back into the Old Testament says this is the church back in the Old Testament, you know something that apparently God wasn't telling. And I would say you're almost smarter than the Lord is. You more or less usurped his place because you're telling something that he didn't tell and he didn't make it known and that back in the Old Testament wasn't there. And apparently these folks know something that God didn't know back in the Old Testament. My friend, may I say to you, the mystery means he didn't reveal it in the Old Testament. And since he didn't reveal it, it's not there. Now we have here the definition of the mystery, which in other generations, now I'm reading verses 5 and 6 of the third chapter, which in other generations was not made known under the sons of man, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and of the same body, that is, fellow members and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus by means of the gospel. Paul now clarifies what he means by the mystery. And there is a sharp contrast between the sons of man in past generations and the apostles and the prophets of the church. No one in the Old Testament had a glimmer of light relative to the church. 
it's now revealed to the holy apostles. And holy because they've been set aside for this office. But God and the prophets here are definitely New Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of this mystery. The Lord Jesus said this in John 16, 15, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, he'll take of mine and show it unto you. Now, what is the mystery? And here I want to make a distinction, and don't miss it, friends. The mystery was not that Gentiles would be saved. The Old Testament taught that. Let me give you a passage or two. Isaiah eleven ten, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Again, Isaiah 63, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. In Zechariah 2.11, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And Malachi 1.11, Far from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Now, what is the mystery then? if it's not the mystery that Gentiles are to be saved. The mystery, now will you hear me very carefully? The mystery was that Gentiles and Israelites were placed on the same basis by faith in Christ. They are brought into a new body, and that body is the church. Don't miss that. And Christ is the head of this new body. This, therefore, has caused a threefold division in the human race. Now, you have this division of the human family. From Adam to Abraham, it's 2,000 years plus, all were Gentiles. From Abraham to Christ, there were Jews and Gentiles of 2,000 years. All right, we now come from Christ, the day of Pentecost, to the rapture. And that's been now 2,000 years plus. Jews, Gentiles and the church of God. That's exactly what Paul said, as we've said before. 1 Corinthians 10, 32, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Now, Paul took in the human family when he said that. There's no fourth group, and it's not just two groups. There's Israel, Gentiles, and the church of God. Now, the church is not in the Old Testament, de facto. I think there are types of it back there, but it's not a revelation. Christ said, on this rock, I will build my church. And at that time, it was future. And you're in the New Testament when he said that. The church began on the day of Pentecost, and to go beyond Pentecost makes the body of Christ Siamese twins, a Jewish church and a Gentile church coexisting. And the church is not Siamese twin. It began on the day of Pentecost, all Jewish, yes, and then you have that period of transition when Gentiles are brought in. The church is one body made up of both Jew and Gentile, and that means Gentiles include all the peoples of the world. Now, Paul said, "...of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given me according to the working of his power." Now, Paul assumed no place of superiority in the knowledge of the mystery, by virtue of the fact that he was the apostle of the Gentiles. He takes only the title of diakonos, a worker or a helper, a deacon. It was the gift of God's grace which had transformed him from Saul 
the proud Pharisee who persecuted the church to Paul the apostle, who was now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and took him out of one group and put him in another, and he's now a member of the body of Christ. All that had been accomplished was through the working of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul had both the gift and the power. Now, verses 8 and 9. To me, who am less than the least. And that is really something here. He says, I'm more least than anyone else. Of all the saints is this grace given to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the dispensation or the economy of the mystery. Now, we are living today in the economy are the dispensation of the mystery of the church, the gospel of grace, which from the ages past has been hid in God who created all things. And you want to know something? There are a lot of things God hasn't told us yet. That's one of the reasons that I'm anticipating heaven is because some of you don't think I know very much. And if you'll not let it out, you're right. Please don't tell anybody because I do have a few people fooled. But you know, when you and I get to heaven, we are really going to be smart. We're going to start learning things. God hadn't told us very much. It's amazing how little God really told us. You know, he never told anybody about that little Adam. He never told about diamonds being down in the earth. He kept all that to himself. He let man find out a lot of things. A lot of things man can't find out. It can only be known by revelation. And the church was a mystery in that sense. Now, Paul says, I became a minister, a diakonos, a deacon, according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given me according to the working of his power. That is, the dunamis power. Now, to me, I'm less than the least. It was given to me to preach this. I'm the least of the apostles. And Paul says, I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And he thought, of what he was, and then of what the grace that God had done for him. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, he hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a blasphemer, persecutor. What a mighty revolution took place in the life of Paul, to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, how wonderful! And to make all men see the economy the dispensation of the mystery, that which was revealed in the past is now revealed. Now he says, in order that now there might be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenless through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the purpose of the ages which he wrought in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access in confidence through our faith in him. Now, another purpose of the mystery is revealed here. God's created intelligences are learning something of the wisdom of God through the church. They not only see the love of God displayed and lavished upon us, but the wisdom of God is revealed to the angels. And how wonderful that is. Therefore, he says in verse 13, Wherefore I entreat you that ye not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Because of the great goals of the mystery, which Paul has enumerated, he's willing to suffer imprisonment as the apostle to the Gentiles 
And he didn't want the Ephesians now to lose heart and be discouraged because the imprisonment of Paul was working for his good and their glory. And he says, "...who now suffer, rejoice in my sufferings for you. Fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." He said that in Colossians 1:24. Now, next time, we're going to look at Paul's second great prayer that he shared. Read it before we come to it, friends. This is wonderful. We're treading on the high places in this epistle. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. What a terrific message. Next time, we're moving on to Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. It's a prayer that we can pray for each other. Until then, if you need to reach us, call 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and God bless you as you carry God's Word into your world. Jesus Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.